Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Deep dive time. Very excited about this. We got one of my new guys, my, my BKFC bare knuckle guys. We haven't had really bare knuckle deep dives on here yet, but we're going to, this is, wasn't just a bare knuckle fighter. This was a guy I had an extensive, fantastic MMA career. We're going to talk about all that, but first of all, we're going to really dive into the, the bare knuckle because you know I love that stuff. I had a couple of fights myself, not as many as this guy, but man, this guy's been the most dominant guy in the organization since we've developed, uh, came back in the modern era in the BKFC. Louis Palomino, man, how the hell are you doing, brother? How you doing, man? Feeling good, feeling amazing. Thank you for having me, man. I'm man a, you know, I've always mean, been a big fan of you, Chris. Man, not, not I because we're on this right here. I've always been, you were one of those mean strikers that I used to look up to, man. I love all your fights. So, yeah, I wanted to put that out, you know, put that out there because it's the truth. That's too <laughs> cool, man. I mean, uh, man, since you've came on the scene here, you've been nothing short of just amazing. At the beginning, you came in just wrecking people, knocking them out, which I thought, okay, this guy. And then you showed me uh, a couple fights after that when you can really box and move. So you, I don't know if it's been an evolution of what you did or you always could, could do all that and you just showcase it different ways, but you've really showed. And even this last fight uh, versus Brown, I thought this guy's big and tough and going to be a real problem. And it wasn't, you know what I mean? So you've really, every time I thought you had a challenge, you've really not proved me wrong. I don't, not that I ever doubted you, but you've really stepped up and just, Impressed me, man. Uh, has it always been in your wheelhouse? Or are you continuing to evolve? Do you think? I think it's a combination of both. I think I think it's part of my my persona, if you will, part of my my personality, the way that I fight. But at the same time, I have evolved a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Look, I've always considered myself. I think one of the biggest reasons why I've never opened a gym is because I've always considered myself a student of life. I love learning. Like, I love the actual learning process. I love the waking up at 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning, putting in the work before and after people are in the gym, you know, in the darkness when nobody sees what's going on. I love going through the process. You know, it's very humbling, but very strengthening at the same time. So I say to answer your question 100%, it's a combination of both the personality I was born with and the evolution of the boxer I have become. I love it, man. So talking about you know, geez, your personality and everything. Explain to us how you got involved with the sport of fighting to begin with. I mean, you, you, you're you from Peru. Where did you, what sports did you play, soccer? Obviously, then how did the fighting come about? Go, go, go take us through it, man. So I, 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 I did soccer. I played soccer in Peru. My, my family actually has very big names in the soccer world. Um, yeah, really, really big names, you know, in the, in the Rivas family. And um, I played soccer back then. And when I came to California, it was the first place I touched uh, ground when I came to America. I came to California when I was 10 years old and I joined the soccer team. And I was kind of like a one, one man show, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I guess it was just something like, you know, I guess it was a part of me, right? That I grabbed the ball and I would take it from one corner to the end, make a goal. And I was making them back to back. And then, like, they, I cursed. I was 10 years old, right? I'm in, I'm in elementary. 
and I cursed in like the third game, I was cursing or something. Hey, pass me the ball or something. And they, the whole group got against me. <laughs> they reported me to the office. They said that I'm cursing, I'm hogging the ball, I'm not sharing, and it threw me out of the team. <laughs> so, Damn. so yeah, so that was that was it for, for soccer for me. And I was like, man, what the hell? And I was like training something. So back then, my father, you know, took my older brother Pedro. My older brother Pedro was like diesel. He's, since he was 14 years old, he was like, like a bodybuilder, you know. He got my mom's side of the family genes, you know, <laughs> side of the family genes. Like I didn't, I, you couldn't tell a bicep from a tricep until I was like 22 years old. I just started lifting weights at like 20 years old, you know, skinny legs, chubby body. Like it was the most weird body ever, you know. But that's why I worked so much on it. But um, my dad was taking my brother to to go to a boxing gym, and I asked. I was like a little scrawny kid, you know, and I asked, "Hey, can I go with you?" And my dad was like, "Okay, yeah, let's go." So he went over there. My brother did boxing for about a week, and that was it for him. It wasn't his. It wasn't his thing. You know, he was, he's a vet. He did awesome there. He did a hell of a living. You know, he had his own. He has his own security company. He's on private tours. The dude is like, he's high level. He's had Hillary Clinton in the back seat. Like, you know, he did his thing. That was his thing. Guns and all that. For yeah. me, I was the opposite. I, I I like fighting. So I started boxing back then, and I did three years of boxing until my father went to prison. Once my father went to prison, then, you know, that's when everything really began. My mom had to take off from California, six kids on her own, no English, <sighs> no family, no papers, no nothing. So she like, we, we lived really good in California, you know, like two story house, you know, like it was pool, like we lived good, you know? And it was because of my dad's, you know, doings, right? But uh, when we came to Miami, everything was, upside down we came to Miami we lived in a in a hotel room for like a few months and then and then we lived in a one-bedroom one-bedroom apartment for many many years and so on you know that's that's where the love for boxing wasn't around when I came to Miami boxing was California when I came to Miami and I wanted to go box the gym that I that I found closest to me was like an hour and a half like three oh. plus so my mom was like, you're not going over there. We're talking about 26 years ago, Miami was not Miami today. Like, it was gang violence, left and right, stabbing, shootings. It was bad. That's one of the reasons why every single knuckle has a scar on it. Every single knuckle has a scar with a tooth mark or a bone that fractured my hand from the street fights. I grew up street fighting a whole lot in Miami. I never joined the gang. I think that was probably one of the major reasons why I kept fighting so much. I jumped into people's fights that was nothing to do with me because I, I didn't like the justice, you know? I just couldn't stand the whole jumping one person, three on one, four on one. It wasn't my thing, man. It, it, it would piss me off, you know? And I would jump in and, and get into problems with one man, you know? And but look, thanks to that, one of my sponsors today was a guy that I helped out many years ago. Nice. And he told me the story about it, you know, and so on. <laughs> so, so what what made you guys uh real quick, what what why did you guys move to Miami from California? What what was the allure of uh, Miami? Well, in, in in California, you know, we didn't have a family. We don't have even neither in California or in Miami. But yeah. in, in in um in California, and you know, I don't know how you guys saw with superstition, but this is a story that I've never told to anybody, right? Because it's a little more private, you know. Yeah. But 
because it's you, Chris. I'm gonna let it go right here, right? You know, you know, thank you, man. So, so check this out, right? So this, this is the truth because you you asked me a very specific question. Why did we leave California to come to Miami? Yeah. We didn't have family over there. We didn't have family over here, anyways. So why why the change? The change yeah. was my mom went from being a stay at home wife, right, to now I don't have nothing to feed my kids with. You know, I don't have nothing. It took everything from us. You know, so. We had a lot of animals, even though we lived very good, very nice. Back in Peru, we had animals. So my mom always had, you know, we always had dogs that were giving birth to, to puppies. We had chickens, we had birds. We had, you know, we were used to living like that, kind of like, like a little small farm in Peru. So when we were in, in, our, in a nice house in Chino, in Chino Hills in California, you know, we always had animals. We had rabbits, birds, beautiful birds, rabbits, uh, dogs giving birth to. She had, she had some poodles there. You know, we always had, you know, some puppies in the house. That's where the breeding comes from for, that I do today. And animals started dying. Like, back to back to back to back, right when my dad went to prison. So, like, in the superstitious world, you know, talking about, like, brujeria, like, you know, bad, bad stuff, like, curses and stuff like that. You know, a lot of us believe in, in some of that stuff, you know? For sure. Well, when you start, look, I didn't, I was young. I don't know anything about this stuff, you know? My mom didn't ever care to know about the stuff, you know, but there's people around supposedly attacking us spiritually. And it started with my dad going to prison. But then when you're like, you know, I'm, I'm at this time, I'm already 13 years old. I remember everything happening. I remember everything exactly. You know, like this is the last year that I lived over it. And I'm seeing these animals are dying every day for no damn reason. And I'm like, why did the birds die? You know, and then it was like the weakest to the strongest. It was the birds. Then the rabbits, then uh, I don't know what else we had. Uh, oh, the puppies were born dead. And we're like, uh. what the hell is going on, man? Like, it was weird. It was real weird. So my mom felt like we were being attacked and we needed to get out of there. So that's why she grabbed everything and took off. Because it's just like, it is getting that fresh start, man. Belief, I get it. Yeah. yeah, in the belief, right? If, you're, if your home is being attacked and your animals are dying, it's kind of like a like a chain, right? So it's like the smallest animals to the strongest animals. What's next? Hey, Lewis. My you Lewis sometimes, next. You just, sometimes you just gotta listen. That's it. They're dying for no damn time to reason. go. You know? What's next, people? We hey, by <laughs> the way, on a different note. Baboons <laughs> first. <laughs> Baboons, hey. them people. Be careful, brother. <laughs> hey. On a different note, nothing but, you know, talking, telling the story, nothing but mad respect for your mom for just being able to take care of six. That's, that's unbelievable, man. Like, stay home, mom, all of a sudden, I'm taking care of six people. Awesome what she did. So, um, you know, so wow. then you get down in, in Miami, fights start happening. When did you, when did you become a professional fighter? How did that transform? So I come to California, the whole gang activity is going on. Capoeira, Capoeira, Brazilian martial arts, the reason why I speak fluent Portuguese. I never studied it, never went to school for it. But I can speak with anybody from any part of Brazil because of Capoeira. Now, capoeira and later on, Jiu-Jitsu too. You know, I'm a certified black belt Jiu-Jitsu too. But it was really in Capoeira in my, in my teenage days that I learned how to speak Portuguese. And it saved me from going either to prison, like most of my friends, or getting shot up. Because you know, a lot of them did, you know. But uh, it saved me, but I still had this anger inside where I would fight for any reason. Like you, you couldn't, you couldn't disrespect me. It, it didn't matter how. It, it always happened when somebody twice as big as me. 
Oh, I never find anybody my size that I can remember. <laughs> always happen with somebody that thought that they can talk to you a certain way or disrespect you a certain way because of your size difference. And I started to learn that if I clipped you, they would go down. Sometimes they mm -hmm. wouldn't go to sleep, but they would definitely hit the floor. Yeah. So then I started noticing that it didn't matter how big you are. You know, some people just have power. That was the only gift that was ever given. So time passes and, you know, always working hard, working hard, working hard, but there was no way to make money. And then I'm starting, like, I'm hurting my mom. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm getting in trouble. I'm getting into fights. I'm getting arrested. I'm catching cases. You know, I'm getting in trouble, you know. So I kind of started feeling bad about it. You know, how hard she's been working to keep us straight. And I saw, and you might know those names, the Asusan brothers. Rafael Asunsan, Junior Asunsan. Of course. Asunsan was 135-pound um, challenger. I think he was like number two, number three for like five years in UFC. Yeah. He, he, he got knocked out, and I think his last fight, he got clipped by Cody. Cody yeah. Garbrandt. Garbrandt. Yeah. So if you look at Rafael Asunsan's stomach, he has this tattoo on it. So this tattoo, that's where my name came from. This is the logo of the Capoeira group that I was in, and he was in, and his brothers uh, were in. Oh, so we all grew up in the same hood, you know? And we did nice. Capoeira Bolisão. So Capoeira Bolisão had a, a baboon as a logo, and they named me after the logo. I was the first one, right? Oh, cool. I was, I was the best one back then, right? And uh, and then for five years, in the end of Capoeira days, they left, they moved to the, the Asusan brothers, Freddie Asusan, Junior Asusan, Rafael Asusan. They left to Atlanta, and in those five years that I didn't see them, they were doing jujitsu. So then when they came back, I heard wow. that I was going to fight George Masvidal here in Miami. So I went to see the fight. That was the first fight I ever saw. Really? Yeah, that was the first fight I ever saw. Was uh, Masvidal? No, number Masvidal. I'm sorry, not Masvidal. Masvidal fought the same card. Rafael okay. fought somebody else, okay? But they did fight too. I think Rafael uh, beat him too in the past in yeah. a different show. Anyway, that day when I went to go see my first pro MMA fight, we're talking about when I was 26 years old now. Okay. About 2005. Say again? About 2005. 2005, yes, yes. So I went over there with my Capoeira Mestre, right? Which, not this group. I had left this group and, and started with Mestre Cesar, who was my first MMA trainer, who is was the, the trainer for Amanda Nunez, who's the trainer now for Cody, uh, um, Cody that's fighting, uh, what's his name? George Masvidal? Kobe, 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 Kobe Covington. Covington, Covington, yeah. So it's MMA Masters, the name of the group. But Master Cesar and I, we went to go see this first MMA fight ever for me, for him, in, in life, right? And I see this kid that I, you know, we used to train together. Oh, we know each other. And he's making it possible right there that you can fight without getting in trouble and get paid for it. <laughs> you know, so I was like, yeah. like, hold up, he's getting paid. He's not getting in trouble. And he's making his family proud. And, no, I got to do yeah. that. So he made it. Yeah, he made it. Like, the Asusan brothers made it real for me that I can do it too. That's how everything really began. They made it a possibility that I can do it. And from then on, I, I saw Masvidal's fight it was after uh, uh, Rafael, and I told my ex-trainer, Mr. Cesar, I told him, I want to fight him one day. And that happened, like, maybe, like, five years later. Nice, man. Yeah. So, so Chris, why don't we kind of start 
we never really start at the end, you know, uh, of somebody like what they're doing. But I think I'd like to do it in this instance because what Lewis is doing is uh, is pretty incredible. Uh, BKFC, your first opponent is Elvin Brito, obviously 165-pound champion right now. How do you connect with BKFC in the beginning? How I first got together with him. Yes, with like Nate Shook, I'm assuming. Yeah. All right. So no, no, Nate Shook. I didn't get to meet Nate Shook until later. I I, I literally di- directly spoke to Dave Feldman. So okay. so look, in, in this time, many people were vouching for me. So BKFC was out looking for talent, and everybody was like. Man, I don't, I'm going to say a couple of names, but I know I'm going to leave a couple of names out. So, you know, those people, excuse me, because I know that I have a lot of people to thank. A lot of people to thank. You know? um, this dude from Island Fights that has his own show, uh, Dean. Dean was vouching for me. Look, Jim Adams. Was yeah. Jim Adams was vouching for me. Like people that just knew me that I can, I like to bang. You know, I like to get in there and, and mix it up. And strike, people were like vouching for me, telling Feldman, you know, from other ends, hey man, this is the guy to sign, this is the guy to sign, this is the guy to sign. So I know that a lot of people were involved in that. Dean, I know was a big one, um, Jim Allers, um, and, and many others, you know. And I finally got a, a direct contact because at this time I managed myself. I've, I've mostly managed myself, I only had two managers in the past, and that was one of my biggest mistakes was not being able to trust somebody to take me to where I should have been, you know? So, you know, I, long story, I agree with that. Long story short, you know, I just didn't have the right backing, you know, and I didn't give myself that opportunity. I was managing myself. When you do that, you kind of like shut yourself down from different connections, you know? But um, in, In your MMA career, it looks like there were a little bit of ups and downs and stuff. Did BKFC feel like this is for me? Like, was it like a breath of fresh air for you? Cause, a lot of the guys feel like like it came at the right time for me. It does feel like you put in so many dues. Yeah, no, a hundred thousand percent. When I heard BKFC, when I seen the rise of BKFC, I said, "This is tailor made for me." Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you think about my losses in MMA, it's mostly due to wrestlers literally grabbing me and a little more in the whisper in my ear, "Stop hitting me!" Like they wouldn't even tell <laughs> me. If they go to ground and pound me, I'm getting up. You know, yeah. they will hold me and I will lose what's called cage control fights. Split decisions, decisions, you know, in Russia, I'm fighting with these Russians. We already know, you know, if you don't knock them out or, 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 or submit them or do like a real decisive, like all three round win, you're not getting a decision over there, you know? And, and I was getting, the only decision I got win over there was like as a Brazilian guy. You know what I mean? Split decision loss or decision loss. You know, I came out with good fight of the night bonuses. I took good care of me. I'm not going to complain. But this whole thing with people just grabbing onto me and not not trading with me, it was crazy. Like, like, strikers would turn into wrestlers with me. Masvidal tried taking me down, holding me down. Um, East Edwards, in the first round, I beat him. The second round was very close. The third round, smart he was very smart he said oh whoop shot took me down held me down for the rest of the round won the fight you know like strikers that i look up to like i was dying to bang with 
know, trying to hold me down. So I'm like, damn, man. You know, I, I feel your pain. Like most of my losses, same thing as people. And I'm not a bad wrestler, but I, just, I, I couldn't not do it. But I mean, I used to love it when I was in UFC. I tell them, I was like, put me in with guys who want to just try. I, I don't even say this bang. Guys who want to finish the fight and like, yes. you know, in the way as I was like, hey man, let's go for this by the night. But you, you ready to just bang? And they're like, yeah. And, and I got a lot of guys who just want to stand up and trade and yeah. that was what I wanted to do is why I love it and I was so not disappointed but I was looking back I wish bare knuckle that came out five years earlier you know what I mean because yeah. I would have been doing it for five months by the time I had my first bare knuckle fight I was I think 44 <laughs> like, I, Damn. I was 43 I was just like man I want to do it so bad I was like I, I got to do this because this is what I would like to do forever you know what I mean and uh it just wasn't around, you know. So I had three fights, and I was like, "Man, I, I, I'm four. I'll be 48 here, since I can't do it no more." But I, I wish I would have been around. I'd be, I'd have been right there with you, man. I, this is everything <laughs> I wanted. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'd have been as good as you, but I'd been trying my ass off. I love it so. <laughs> nah, nah, I, I'm with like, you, man. I have the same nah, mentality. Yeah, I hate people awesome. try. I, people try this. They don't fight, man. That, that's one thing I like about bare knuckles. People come to fight. In MMA, a lot of times they come. It's an athletic contest. They come to win a contest. This is not a fight, you know. It's it's. A, I just want to hold you down. I want to out jab you. I mean, these people come knock your head off. People want to fight here, and that's what I love about bare knuckles. Yes, I think that's what that's why it's growing so rapidly. Exactly. You know, the masses understand it easier than understanding the grappling, the holding, the wrestling. You know, the masses, mass wide, they're looking at it like, whoa, action, man, cuts and knockouts. Yep. That's <laughs> well. It. If you look at your career, you start with a future world champion, Elvin Brito. You win by decision. Well, he just dominated the fight, too. I mean, he, yeah. He, he, I've seen him fight a couple of times for us, and he just kind of, you could tell, I was surprised at how he just ran the whole time. And you just kind of never even took a shot. Like you hit him and just kind of stayed in the middle and made him run the whole time. I mean, he, he, He's he didn't really want to fight. style since then, though. He yeah, no, I know. He has, yeah. but I'm... I, I'll tell you, that fight didn't even look like your first BKFC fight. It looked like no, you've been doing that, you know, shoot. It looked like it was made for you. Yeah. You know, the, yeah. the, the thing about that fight is, is you got to remember, right, that was the beginning of a tournament. It's the first fight in a tournament. So I literally went in that fight to win it strategically and smart, not to get into a war, fracture a hand before I can get to that belt. My, my yeah. number one priority was getting to that belt. And once yeah. I get to that bell opportunity, I don't care if I break a hand, if I suffer yeah. three cuts, I don't care. But that, that fight was a very strategical and very thinking fight. And yes, yeah. he ran the entire time. And I can tell you, I watched the fight over and over again because I only felt him connect once. And it was a jab right here in the middle of my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> a jab in five whole rounds. Yeah. All yeah. I felt, and I looked at the tape, I don't see anything that he lands, like, like a flush clean a clean hit, he doesn't land. So Isaac yeah. Belly Flag, was it almost like a weight off of your back because you were so aggressive <laughs> in this fight? Like oh, it yeah. was almost the exact opposite of what we saw with Brito. Brito, you were controlled, <laughs> you were relaxed. You were an absolute animal against Isaac Belly Flag. That's, and that's what I wanted to do. That's that's why when I saw bare knuckles surfacing the way it did i was like man i can be really good at this way i can be the champion here and that's the kind of fight that i wanted to bring but i was in a tournament setting so i had to fight it different in the first round but now 
when you put me with Fatty Flag, now it's like you take all the weight off. That's it. The belt's right there. The belt's right across from me now. Yeah. Now I can really go in there and kill this dude, you know? <laughs> and that's when the killer instinct comes in, and that's it, man. I, all I need to do is touch him. <laughs> so at this point, Allers is a little upset. I think I think there was like a mix-up where he was put, he had to pull off of a fight. It was his was- choice. It was his choice. He yeah. had the okay. opportunity. They broke down the tournament, right? And they squashed the tournament because of COVID, right? And they said, okay, you're going to fight Jim Allers next. In the contract, when we agreed to fight, because we were former teammates, we said, if we fight each other, it'll be in the end of the tournament. But they already squashed the tournament. They're going to give us a title shot right away. So I said yes right away. He said, well, you know, blah, blah. I guess he took it at first. And then his trainer caught COVID. And then he said, you know what? I'm not going to do this fight without my trainer. So he ended up sitting back while Valley Flag, who was 3-0 and at the time, or 4-0, took the spot, which that was his choice. It That's was right. different. You know, and then he stayed salty about it and the talking started and all that. <laughs> he, he was actually at events having the BKFC belt around his shoulder walking around. <laughs> Amazon, an Amazon BKFC belt that he yeah, ordered right. himself. Yeah, he's a real Amazon. So, Jim Allers is your third fight. If you look at his, like his path, beats Elvin Brito, stops him. Stops Leonard Garcia, who's an absolute yep. stud. Stops Julian Lane, who went to Europe, won a world title there. Khalib Harris, two-time, you know, uh, world title contender. And you fight him. Man, Lewis, I don't think you understand. Like, I, I was talking to Chris almost every day that week going, holy shit, dude, <laughs> this is it. Like, this is, this is the fight. And Allers, former teammate, he is absolutely no joke, and he's proven himself to be a very tough competitor. And why don't you walk us through what happened in that fight? Well, you know, he, I knew that he was going to come. Look, the only, if I would say the only place that he was going to have a chance was somewhere in the clinch because he had proven how strong of a grip he has with one hand and how much power he has with the other by knocking you know several people out with that clinch tie and banging, you know? That was the only thing, and we prepped for it a thousand percent between the footwork and the maneuvering of the clinch. If we were to be in that position, you know, we didn't have to do that because my footwork is is way beyond him. It's way beyond his his capabilities. You know, my footwork is out of control. It, it always has been okay, but right now my footwork and my head movement have been in zinc into if, if I can say it in, in better words, like in offensive form now, where like I don't just move around to move around. Now I move calculating steps and looking for angles the entire time, looking to hit, not get hit, hit, not get hit, cause my damage and get out before the damage, uh, damage cost. And when he came, it was very simple. He's going to come forward like a bull charging at me. <laughs> All I got to do is, you know, strike them out completely straight and let them run into it. It's double impact. That's exactly what happened. He felt the power when he kept chasing me, kept chasing me, going backwards, hitting, 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 while I'm going backwards. And when I finally killed him with the hook, he kind of stumbled and stopped chasing after he was like, ah, my turn. And I went forward, landed at right hand. <laughs> it was uh, 44 seconds. 
I waited all month for this fight for 44 <laughs> seconds. 44 <laughs> seconds, not cool. Yeah, no, Allers is um, absolute stud. You know, he, up until this point, he was just murking everybody. Yeah, and, and, you know, including, you know, two former world champions, or one current world champion, one former. Um, so Feldman, in his brilliance, obviously, decides to kind of start raiding Europe and bringing some of these European fighters over where he takes on Tyler Goodjohn, another world, bare knuckle world champion, legit boxer, glove boxer as well. And, um, man, that, that, that fight had a lot of hype behind it. I think this is probably your most hyped fight up until this point. Yeah, yeah. And, and the performance was just as good. I think yeah, that I he was the, the toughest, the toughest bare knuckle fight that I've had. I give it to him. The toughest. And he's the only one that's actually gave me damage. I was actually cut in that fight. I don't remember how. Uh, I, I, I tried to watch the tape over and over again. I can't quite catch where he cuts me with what punch, but he cut me. I was cut. And, and he was pressuring no matter how many times I would land in his face. Like I landed 173 strikes to the face, bare knuckle. This dude is hitting himself in the chest, <laughs> walking forward. Like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> you got to respect that, you know? Oh, he's is he training guy. with you now? Huh? Is he training with you now? Yeah, so so I signed him. Um, I wanted to sign Jim Anders, too. I was, I was after Jim Anders for a while. <clears throat> but I was trying to not only sign him as a management, but in my team, too. I wanted to, I wanted to take him under my team. You know, so he, you know, he had his, you know, time to think about it and I, he chose a different route, but that's what I did with Tornado. Tornado, um, I have, look, now I have a real manager, you know, I never really had a, a relationship like the one that I have today, you know, mainly it's Ralph Navarro. Ralph Navarro is the owner of Florida Yas International, FYI. He does this stuff out of the love for me. You know, we have a very good relationship and he likes to help people. That's, that's his thing, you know? <clears throat> so, over the years, we've been working together, training together. I've been training him for a while now. And we decided, let's, let's do this, this management company together. But we're not trying to sign everybody. You know, like, we want championship material. Like, very, like everything we, we see eye to eye because we look at things like quality over quantity. You know, it's kind of like the meal prep business that I have with my wife. You know, it's quality over quantity. We serve, we serve a quality type food for a certain amount of money. And if you can't afford us, then you can't afford us, you know? But we, yeah. we work less, make a little more. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's, that's the way it should be, you know? Um, so his son is Christopher Navarro. He's really in a music business. He deals with none but like multi-million dollar contracts, you know, like with big reggaeton artists and stuff like that. So he's, he's an attorney. He's like the, the legalization behind us, but it's a team of three. It's Ralph, Myself and Chris Navarro. So it's us three that make East to West Management Company. And we the first guy that we signed is uh um Tyler Goodjohn. I think that he's gonna be a champion. You know, I think that I was the only one that can beat him right now in my weight division. I think that with what he brings, he's kind of like a diamond in the rough. I don't think he's ever been taken care of the way that he's going to be taken care of now or the I way that he you. is being taken care of now like a real team behind you you know the real set of you know not only the trainers but the support team sponsors you know everything so that he can just focus on going in there doing his job and winning 
he's going to be a champion. And the next one is. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. So with Tyler Goodjohn, with your meal prep, with a little love, a little care, I think he was up a little too high in weight. You know, I don't think he's used to cutting weight. If he could make 145. I would love, I would love for him to go to 145. Um, but he is pretty big. He's is not, he? he's, oh yeah, and the fight the day that we fought, he was telling me how he was 170 or 170 something the week of the fight. So not that big. I don't know. Right, yeah. I mean, look. Now that he's gonna, we're, we're moving him here. He, we had him, we had him over for the fights, but we're moving him to Miami. He's staying in Miami. So now that I, I'm very good with nutrition, you know, I'm very, very good with it. So now that, and I have my trainers too. So now that we're gonna have him here in home, you know, or you know, minutes away from us, now we're gonna be able to like get together and put the science behind everything, you know. You, he's got the look. He's got a personality, you know. He's got social media down, like good skills too. Obviously. Yeah, that, that, good skill and a lot of heart that you can't teach, man. You can't teach that, but just his his head yeah, movement and all little, that, little, and, and like little, you said, little, here and there, little, yeah. Here and there. Yep. That's it. I agree. I agree. And, and just interviewing him and talking to him, yeah, I like the guy, man. He he's seems like a really he's got good the guy. It factor. He's got that it yeah. factor. Oh yeah, yeah you sure. can't teach that. So, so another gloved boxer who's a world champion, uh, Dat Nguyen is your next opponent. If Dat wants to come up in a weight class, you see some holes in your game. And, man, that was a, that was a very strategic fight. Yes, it had to be. It had to be. We were, man, if me saying that I was at 70% is me, like, trying to make sure that nobody goes out there, you know, trying to me make you feel bad for me. Because it was bad, bro. It was bad. I wasn't, I wasn't, no, no, not even 70% to be very honest with you. Like, if you see the look in my trainer's face, like train nurse, like all three of them, if you see the look in their face only two weeks before the fight, you, you would be like, baboon, you're an idiot. You should be yeah. listening to you. They would like literally look at me like with the saddest, most disrupted face and be like, you sure? <laughs> like, they yeah. would you sure you want to do this? What was the uh, physical issues bothering him? Oh, remember he had the COVID and all that? He was in the hospital. <laughs> oh, it was right around then. That's right. It was right before. It was it was less than three months. It was like two months and a half. Like two wow. months and a half. And, and I came out uh, out of the report, pre-anemic, pre-diabetic, inflammation of the pancreas, severe pneumonia. And and I lost twenty eight pounds in total. Oh wow! Made yeah. for an easy weight cut though. Twenty eight pounds. Yeah, you should have went down and got his belt. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was very tempted to doing the fight at one forty five because I was still trying to gain my, my weight. Wow! So I was very tempted to do it at one forty five, but you know I didn't. To be very honest, at this age, man, I'm not gonna keep going down there to defend it. You know, so like, nah, wow. I was healthy. Once I get healthy, I don't want to go back down there. So I said, no, nah, forget about it. Good choice. Well, you just had a successful title defense against Martin Brown. Um, obviously impressive. I, I mean, Chris, you got to – we were both talking about just how impressed we were with his performance against Martin. <laughs> very tall guy, too. Tall, yeah. long, you know, very quick, hard to hit. He doesn't really take much damage either. So that was uh, – that's why I was talking about that fight was all about neither one of these guys take much damage. Let's see what happens here. 
and you still didn't take any damage. Yeah, he was. I would. I would. The, where I would put him, I would put him in, in the smart side of opponents. Like probably one of the smartest guy I fought in bare knuckle. The dude, like at, at first, like I studied his tapes. Of course, there wasn't that much to study on him. You know, in in bare knuckle, he had three fights. One fight you can't find because it was it wasn't even BKFC. It was Total Land series which yeah. was what got him into BKFC. In BKFC, he had two fights. One, he pops his knee, but the guy, the guy Zach kind of quits. And then in the next fight, he knocks out uh, Taylor, Bobby Taylor. It's so it was a bunch of study. I had to study a little bit back, a little further back in his MMA fights. Pretty similar. You know, the Mayweather style, the rolling shoulder with the right-hand counter. But I looked at him like a slow fighter. And there was two times in the fight and I, not, I didn't hit the floor or anything like that, but there was two times, I think it was the first, no, the second and third round that I kind of found my timing and I wanted to finish them. So instead of going like one, two, threes, three, four, fives, I, I went three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and I stayed a little longer in the pocket than I should have. And in one of those counters, because he's just deflecting and being uh, uh, defensive. So he's yeah. like the punches. And his counter would be like in the end of my combinations. So I think I went a little, a little over the top with my combinations, trying to trying to like make some damage because he's hard to hit, man. He, he was really hard to hit. So his demon was really good. So I tried to go six, seven, seven, eight on the strikes, and he clipped me twice. So it was, I think it was second and third round where he clipped me to the point where I, I didn't see like stars. I, I wasn't dizzy. But he clicked me enough for me to like, oh, oh enough for me to say, oh, hold up. Be careful right here, yeah. you know? Step back a little bit, just move around a little yeah. bit, you know? <laughs> like, hold up. You know, to be he, careful. He just looked like the whole time he was downloading the information, trying to solve the matrix that was you and couldn't quite ever get off. He couldn't get off what yeah. he wanted to. He But he, you could tell he's, he's like downloading the whole time, waiting for his time to counter. He could, you weren't being predictable enough to where he could get that punch off ever. You know what I mean? So it just flustered him, and you could see the whole time he's, he's thinking of what he has to do, but he couldn't ever do it, you know? So that was why it was really impressive to me. It's like, man, you're never giving him his option. He's really good at taking that option. He's really good yeah. at waiting for the right time to throw that counter, and that's what he does. Bam! Yes. He never got it off. He just couldn't do it. Yeah, I think it was, it was a combination of too much speed and too much footwork, man. In and out too much. He's very linear, too. I, I do yeah. more angle working and he will kind of like stand still when I'm going in the angles. So like he would miss his opportunity. I wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So now, why you don't we transition? Very... Go, ahead, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead, go ahead. Why don't we transition like you're talking, we're talking to a world champion, a current world champion. Chris, this is our first current world champion. You know, at the time of the interview, I got to also add. There we go, there so, we go. That's the Mike, path Mike, that he Mike, took. Can, can, be, be, before you get to the MMA stuff, I got one more BK sure. type of oh, question. So do I, but go ahead. Because, uh, Lewis, obviously, they're saying you're a world champion. That's what it's all about, right? But Scott Burt is doing, like, a lot of really cool things. Like, are you in the Hall of Fame there already? And, like, show us some of your belts and stuff because – Yeah, no, I, I, love, that... I love what Scott Burt is doing, man. I love the fact that he's been carrying this tradition for so many years. You got the police that said diamond belt back here. There it is. Yes, I am, I am in, the, in the Hall of Fame, actually. They, yeah. I've been inducted in the Hall of Fame, and uh, apparently, once you get into the Hall of Fame, 
and they put you, they add your name to the six foot trophy that's carrying this champion since like 145 years ago, which is wow. super cool. I'm dying to go over there. I want to go over there because it's supposed to do like a little ceremony. And I'm ordering the ring actually. The so once you go in the Hall of Fame, you can now carry the BK's the the police gonna say diamond belt ring. That's cool. So, yeah, so I'm getting I'm definitely getting some of that bling. <laughs> now <laughs> yeah, we're in the Hall of Fame. On That's a different cool note, stuff. real quick, man. After the last fight, you talked about you know obviously one of the you know rematch one of your opponents get that 65 belt and you'd like to do it in your home country, Lima, Peru, uh, in any, man, I would love nothing more than that. So hopefully I, I know you said you, you're talking to him here this week. Maybe we our next week. Maybe, maybe you can tell me more about that as, as time comes, but do you think there's any possibility you getting that opportunity? I believe so, man. Look for one, let's, let's talk about, I've earned it. You know I mean? Oh yeah. If that's everybody has earned it. Anything, I, yeah. oh, and I, look, the way that I look at life and the way that I see things, it's kind of like the way that I speak to my son, you know, I tell him two things always. You can never go wrong with the truth. Some people might not like it. And you can never go wrong with hard work. At some point, it's going to pay off, you know? Yeah. I've been doing this for so many years without getting that payoff that it's starting to, like, flourish now. And I said, I just didn't give up. I just didn't give up. I'm not going to quit because I know my mom taught me that, you know? My mom yeah. just kept busting her ass, and she proved over that. It took some years to see some flourishment, but it happened. Look, one of my sisters are... Uh, registered nurse practitioner. My brother is a vet, has his own company, has done very well. You know, my other sister's studying forensics. My other brother is like the biggest heart of the family. You know, like he helped all of us when she was alone. Like, you know, like she did great, you know, because yeah. of her hard work. So I believe that number one, I deserve the opportunity not only to fight for the 165 pound title, but also to bring it to my country. Look, I am the only one that is six and zero undefeated, a new record. All right, I just broke a new record. I've defended my title four times. Nobody has done that, and I have an entire country to pick up fans from. <laughs> like, oh. like, come on! Like, it, it helps me as much as it helps BKFC. We're talking about subscribers here. We're talking about following. We're talking about think ten percent of thirty-nine million people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Hey, just say, hey, Dave. Hey, Help me help you. Just help, help me help me. you. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. So exactly. how old were you when you moved to California from Peru? Ten, ten years old. Come on, you Mike. Ten years old. You're, I heard this one. Come on. Okay. <laughs> so ten years old. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. So let's talk about the road to get there. You, you had an MMA career with some incredible highs and some kind of head-scratching lows. And... <laughs> I think the one underlying factor is that you just you never stop going to the gym. So your first fight, March. June 24th, 2006, Absolute Fighting Championship 17. Uh, Luis Pelato is your first opponent. How long have you been training MMA prior to this bout? I trained six months. I got my eight months. Because in eight months, I got my blue belt in jiu-jitsu, and, and my jiu-jitsu trainer allowed me to get the fight. Wow, that's fast. Oh, that was, yeah, I was like, right in. And then I found a 170. The dude, Pilato, was 3-0 and back then. I mean, I, okay, real quick, when you got that blue, I mean, were you just in the gym like four hours a day or something? Is that, were you just in there a lot? Is that how you got your blue belt so fast? So, that's pretty fast for a blue belt. Are you just yeah, because yeah, you skill so already? Time, I was working construction. So I had to come to the gym, train one-on-one -on -one with my, with my uh, ex-sensei, 
um, I would train with him like a 5 a.m., 5 to 6 a.m. Oh. I would go work, and then I would come back. I'm doing insulation, man. Insulation, like it's in your skin, in your yeah. face. So no matter how much hot water you take, you know, when you Don't go on the with people, you feel the glass scratching you. I did that for four years. My first yeah. four years to doing the gi and all that. And um, I would come back and train the second class. I was training twice a day, jujitsu, Monday to Friday. And on Saturdays, I would train once. And yeah, it was twice a day, like nonstop. And I'm, I'm a little sickle when it comes to like learning. So there was this one guy that was a purple belt. And I remember this one day, right? It's my, my, probably my first month. The guy tapped me, and I'm not even exaggerating, maybe like 15 times, back to back. Like, pop time again, pop time. And I keep going, I keep going, I keep going, I keep going. And I, you know, back then, I wouldn't get tired, you know? And I was just, I was so eager to keep going. I know I'm, I don't want to let him tap me out again. And <laughs> when it was the 16th time, and he tapped me out again, he's like, look, that, that's enough. <laughs> that's, that's enough. Tomorrow we can do this again. <laughs> yeah. He tell me to stop so he can stop tapping me out. Because in my head, it, it was, no, I got to get better like right now. I got to get better right yeah. now. So I got sick with it, you know? And, and I just kept going, kept going, kept going until I got it. I ended up getting my black belt five years later. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, very impressive. So, Luis Palato, did you know that day that your entire life would be, like, somewhere in the combat sports realm? <laughs> no, man, to, to be honest, man, it's like it, it was a lot of it was really unreal to me, you know. And you got to remember this, right? Back then, I'm completely illegal, you know. So there was like people always ask me this number one question that people ask me is, why not UFC? Why you haven't got to UFC? Well, because for 31 years that I've lived in America, I've had times where I have a work permit and I can work. I've had that. And sometimes I didn't have that for two years. So I didn't give up residency until like six months ago. That's 31 years later. So what? in my head, it was never a reality that I can actually go to UFC. Like, how can I go to UFC? I'm an illegal immigrant. How, how are they going to take me in? Okay, so in some, some places, right, when I have a work permit, okay, I have a work permit and I can work legally. Okay, great. I'm, I've done my fights like that in Bellator, in World Series of Fighting. Okay, but... If they want to fly me out of the country, what do I say then? I can't. <laughs> I and can't come back. Again, and then they kick me out. Who knows? So I never, I never believed in my head that I can actually ever make it to UFC for that problem. And I think that when you do that, your mind is a very strong, powerful thing. When you start to barricade yourself and put those those things in your in your pathway, it'll block you. You'll block yourself from reaching different levels. You know, and I think I think I kind of did that to myself. Because wow. I beat quite a few of them that went straight over there after I beat them. <laughs> like, like, what the hell? <laughs> you know? So you you win by rear naked choke in the first round. August 26th, AFC 18, you beat Mike Soltz with the 25-second knockout. And then you fight an AFC 19, October 21st, 2006. Your opponent is a future Tough Seven veteran, Jeremy May. And he was in the house at 185. This dude was big. Wow. He was six foot three. Yeah, tall as hell. He was six foot three and thick. And I'm looking at him across the cage, right? And I'm like, man, I didn't know nothing about weight cutting. I didn't know nothing about that you cut weight. I was 165, <laughs> 67, fighting 170. And I'm looking at this guy, right? In the wings, he has a sauna suit. 
He's running around. I'm like, what's he doing? And then the next day, when I look at him across the cage, I'm like, he looks bigger than yesterday. You know? <laughs> After the fight, I beat him by decision. It was my first decision. After the fight, I asked him, hey, why, why did you have a sauna swan yesterday? Oh, I was doing my last five pounds. I'm like, what do you mean your last five pounds? Yeah, I come down from 200. Ah. And, and I was like, how much do you weigh now? And like, 185, 189. And I was like, what? Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't know any of that stuff. <laughs> wow, you you didn't understand the weight cut at all, I huh? No idea what, what, wow. I just found out that I should be fighting 155, 145. And this was at 170, correct? Yeah, 170. So Carlos no, I, Diaz was the matchmaker for that event. Say it again? Carlos Diaz was the matchmaker for yes, that event. Carlos. How, how was your relationship with him? Super cool with him. He was super cool. And, and remember, I was a barber back then, too. So I would, I would do and I was a barber always and I cut hair for like 13 years so I had access to people you know so I was uh, from first fight I was a very good ticket seller so uh, that gave me a good relationship with Carlos and like now nah, he sells tickets <laughs> you know? hey, let me ask you how come that didn't turn into like you know maybe like you you, you called out George Masvidal why didn't you join ATT you know or even like FFA, there are good teams down I, there. I, you can't sit on your own. Not FFA, but I joined ATT. There was a time when I first left MMA Masters um, that I went to America's Top Team, right? But this is what happened when I was on America's Top Team. I'm a 155-pound fighter now, right? And I'm even fought at 145. I fought at both 55-45. So I'm a small 55. I don't pass 170, right? So... The only sparring partners that were giving me were all 170 pounders from Bellator use. I was sparring Thiago Alves. I was sparring uh, the, the Bellator 170 pound champion. I forgot his name. He was French. Um, like back then, right? I'm, I'm sparring dudes that fight 170. That means that when you're sparring with them, they're like 180 something, 190. You know what I mean? I'm sparring, I'm sparring with Tibau, you know, like, which is all good. I'm huge. I never yeah. care about that stuff. But the fact that I'm a 55 or 45 and I don't have no access to sparring those guys. It's like, then why am I here? You know, I remember they had me spar with what's his name. It's a big name from UFC. There's a 145. If I remember later, I'll tell you, but you know, this calf kick that's going around that people think, that, <laughs> you know, that, that the diamond yeah. or American Statin created it. Okay. Well, nobody can – the fight that we were just talking about where Jeremy, Jeremy May, the 170 uh, fight that I had, that was my third fight, my fourth fight. In that fight, that's where that calf kick was born. The guy was six foot three, I couldn't reach his leg, and I hurt his calf. And I started training after that. That's how it started. And I have video dating back to 2010. I've been doing this, this calf kick that everybody claims they've been doing it, right? Nobody wow. has the fights that they want that I've won with that kick or can prove video proof of how long I've been doing. Anyways, I did that to this guy <laughs> in the gym, and they said that I tore his calf, I ruined his UFC fight, blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of like, it's kind of turned like a little funny in there, you know, where I'm not getting sparring partners in my weight class. You know, then it's like, you have Masvidal always didn't like me. Masvidal was like in one group with his guys. So those guys didn't want to work with me, you know. As I already, at this time, I already had beat Masvidal. You know what I mean? I already had beat him. So he had that thing with me. I mean, look, man, if you beat me and you come into my gym, 
The first thing I want to do is sparring with respect. The first thing that I'm going to do is we're sparring. You know what I mean? And we're sparring every weekend, every week. But <laughs> his mentality was nobody trained with him. You know, acting like some special shit. And I never got to train with anybody to train with him. You know, so I, what am I doing here then? I won one fight with them. I liked the boxing I did with uh, Coach Daya. Very good. Um, and, and it showed in the fight that I did against Robert Washington. I knocked him out with the right hand. I was faking the jab to the body over the top. And that was, that was from uh, Coach Daya, the boxing coach, one of the boxing coaches from America's Top Team. I worked a lot with um, Conan. Conan did, you know, take care of me for a while there too. But as far as like the training, you know, I don't, it just wasn't my place, you know, and I ended up leaving, you know. Yeah. Let's talk about your next fight, November 18, 2006. The WEF, you fought for Jamie Levine. Do you remember him as a promoter? Levine, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. What your experiences like with him? Oh, great, man. Always straightforward to the point, you know, showtime. Super cool guy. You got paid on time? Yes. <laughs> okay. Always get paid. He so, likes Travis Cox was your opponent. This is your first MMA loss. Yes. How, how did it come up? Where was your head at? Um, I wasn't listening to anybody. I, I was on a three-fight win streak, and I was not listening to anybody. Like, uh, I wasn't supposed to fight. So I had a fought. If you look at the timeline, it was like less than six months, I think it was, when I did those first three fights. But I wanted to finish the year with that other fight, and my trainers didn't want me to do it and whatnot. And this is like, Travis Cos was like one of those first real 170-pounders. You know, like he was, he was heavy. And um, I remember he was southpaw and I did an inside leg kick and I busted my foot on his knee in the very beginning of the fight. I, that was, it was, the fight was already over before it even started. Like it landed right on his knee. I landed with this part of the foot. So all those little bones got banged up and he took me down. I think it was grinding pound, I'm not sure. And that was it, man. That was, that was my first loss. But um, it, it was... It was an ugly loss. It was the worst loss of my life because that same night I ended up, I ended up getting robbed. So I, I got home and my whole house was flipped inside out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It just, I didn't catch a break, man. I didn't catch a break. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's rough. They knew you were home. They, they knew you weren't home. Yeah, then it was it was almost out of town. It wasn't in Miami. Ugh. Ugh. Well, you bounce back. You you get a knockdown win over Steve Conley, Patrick Mikez, you knock him out. And on December 8th, 2007, Premier Extreme Fighting. It's a, a show from Miami Inc., the Tommy James show. Yes. They put together an MMA event in order to kind of, I don't know, something for the reality show. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you fight Mike Bernhard, who is it's a Four, man. This guy was a monster. Jeez. He was 3-0. and He was 3-0 and undefeated. Six foot four. A big dude. And I, 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 he was from FFA. He was from FFA. Well, I thought, he, I thought he moved to ATT from Prospect, Ohio. You know what? When, I think by the time I fought him, he was representing ATT. But he had just came from FFA. You know, but he, he, there's a big difference between somebody moving to go train to pursue like a fight career and somebody just fighting in a region circuit. Like it's 
a level yeah. of dedication that not, that yeah. not many people have. Yeah. So why don't you bring us through it? Yeah. So so this dude, man, that was a war. That was a real war. Like, and every time that I saw him after the fight, he would always talk to me about it. Right? <laughs> he was like, I don't remember the fight. He would tell me. I don't remember the fight. It, it's crazy because, look, normally I'm like one of the last fights. I probably like fight number eight, number nine, number 10, you know, because I sell tickets. But in this time, with that event, I was training with America's Top Team. So they had their own order of things, right? So I was going to, when I come in, I came a little late to the venue. They said, oh, you're, you're, you're up next. You're first. I was the first fight. Damn. Yeah. So, like, so literally, I, I had no warm-up, no nothing. And this is the biggest mistake that I made, right? They're wrapping my hands while doing the interview, telling me I'm next. I'm going up. Right? I just walked in the building. So I'm getting wrapped, dressed normal, getting my hands wrapped, doing an interview. Not even warming up. Then I got to get changed. And somebody had, you remember that supplement NO Explode? No Explode? Oh, they yeah. They took it to the market because they were just to like hype you up. So I'm like, I'm cold, man. I'm super cold. I just got here. And somebody had like a little packet. I don't know who the hell had it, but somebody had it right there in the it's locker room. Like, caffeine. It was the energy drink. I'm like, I'm making a habit. I need to, I need to wake up. I just got here, you know? So I took that, man. That was the worst mistake I could have ever done. I took that. I drank it. The moment that I finished drinking it, you're up. I didn't even throw a jab in the back before the fight. Not didn't, even they get, didn't that product get taken off the market? They did. Yeah, it made me hyperventilate. No, check this out. So I go to the fight, right? And I'm fighting a six-foot-four monster, a monster. But I have power, right? So when I clip him, I will knock him down. I knocked him down three times in one <laughs> round. Ooh. The first round, he went down three times. But every time he went down, I would look at him on the floor. And I remember this. I would go to this. Like, my nostrils would get stuck. It would get stuck, and I would open my mouth. I couldn't breathe. Like there was not one moment in the fight that I could do this and let it go. Th- it would never go through. It wouldn't go through. I was doing this the entire fight. I was like, "What the hell is going on?" So then, I guess I was hyperventilating. I didn't even know what that was. So then, round two comes in, and when I'm in the in the corner, I don't feel my fingers. I don't feel my toes. I'm, I don't feel my calves. And my trainer's like, what's wrong? I just knocked this dude, hasn't touched me. I just knocked him three times. I split his ear in half. Nose is bleeding. Eye is bleeding. Like, he's cut everywhere. He's hurt. And I'm untouched, right? And I'm the little guy. So the corner comes and like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I can't breathe. And okay, I'm going to stop the fight. No, don't stop. I'm going to knock him out right now. My mistake, right? (laughs) I'm going to knock him out right now. I go in the second round, and it's only getting worse. Go, and we get into a stumble. He didn't even take me. He was still dizzy from the fight. He didn't even take me down. We both stumbled to the ground. The referee comes on top of me because he sees me breathing weird. He stops it for a minute, and he asks me, are you okay? And I look at him, and I'm going to just, and I, and I, I can't breathe. And he stops the fight. Oh. So he stopped the fight. Like, I, I get up. I still get up, and I can't breathe right, right? We were in the second floor. This is what I remember. When I get in the elevator, I turn off. And when I open my eyes, I'm in the ambulance. And I turn off. And when I open my eyes, I'm in the hospital. So I turned off and on three times, right? Elevator, ambulance, 
hospital. When I wake up in the hospital, my trainer, right? He's like, he, he looks at me like, you remember? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I went off three times. He was like crying. He's like, no, you went off 22 times. I counted. So I was going in and out like 22 times. I was hyperventilating, not getting enough oxygen in my brain. They had to like inject me with something to open my capillary or something like that so the oxygen could flow in. Wow. So yeah, that was another bad. <laughs> what did they say? What did they say the reason was? They said hyperventilation. That's, that's all they said. Hyperventilate. Says you hyperventilate, whatever that is. Well, so so I'm sure you learned a, a very valuable lesson. You're like, never take anything before that you haven't trained with. I mean, that's what they have always like. No matter what people are like, hey, you would do. I'm like, no, no, I don't. I've never done that before. I've never tried anything before a fight because you know what the hell's gonna happen. Now. You don't know what's gonna happen. You don't yeah. know what's gonna happen. Yeah, I'll do it in training first. I'll, I have to do something in training before I'm ever doing a fight. You don't know. I learned my lesson, man. I that was scary as hell. Hey, let me let me jump in and ask you a quick question about because you were walking, you you were talking about ATT and how you had a, a brief run with them and stuff. But you, you you said you're also a student of the game. There are there's a good scene of MMA in Peru. Did you ever follow that stuff? Like I got, followed. Like, yeah, Tony D'Souza there, and I actually match made a, a card in Costa Rica. I don't know. Did you know David Iberico? No, no, I didn't. Iberico is the scorpion from Peru. They, they, we oh, Iberico. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I know who you're talking about. Yes, yes. Yeah, he, he fought for me here on the same card Mike Bernard did, which is why I'm bringing it up. Oh, Mike Bernard fought, so, so, and he won here. He was excellent. So he was talk good. About, Talk about your influence so, in Peruvian yeah, fighting. Yeah, so this guy you're talking about, uh, Ivan Iberico, him and I were supposed to meet at some point in Bellator, the very first tournament of Bellator. Okay. When I came in, I kept hearing there's a Peruvian guy that's going to come in the tournament too. But then apparently uh, something showed up in his MRI where he had like some, some sort of blood cloud or something, and that was it for him as far as fighting. But down the line, he becomes a trainer, and he's brought people to the UFC. He brought uh, El Fuerte, mm -hmm. uh, El Fuerte, was Enrique Barzola, who was the ultimate, ultimate house winner. And he only lost like two fights by split decision in UFC. He got cut. He's not a very marketable guy, but he wins fights. He just did his debut in uh, Bellator against the former 135-pound champion, his first cut to 135, and he beat him. You know, the guy's wow. really good. And that's, yeah. that's the guy that started with, with the Iberico brothers. Now there's... Uh, Puelis, Puelis is uh, in, in UFC as well. He was in UFC. He got cut out. He got back in. He's in there right now. You know, and you know, Valentina Shashenko, most of her training was in Peru. She's always mm -hmm. represented Peru as well, as, as, as well as Russia. You know, she's Russian, but she represents Peru big time because she did most of her years of training of Muay Thai. She did it in Peru. So, yes, there is a very good community going. It's, it's flowing a lot. The fighting world is, is, is growing a lot in Peru. It's getting really big. It just needs more marketing, man. You know, and now with, you know, with a champion, they have a champion in their hands that, you know, had a, a TV show come from Peru to do a note on me here right before this fight. And then they did another note after the win. So my name is ringing bells in Peru right now. And I'm going in March. So I'm going to be doing a little press tour. This is all through my own funding. You know what I mean? So I'm doing, I'm doing my part. So as soon as Bare Knuckle jumps in with me, we're going to blow another part, man. I was going to say, we just need to put a fight out down there and blow it up for real. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. That's it. Put it together. So let me just kind of 
wrap up that Miami reality show. It was headlined by Manny Reyes and Mike Brown. Did you have any interactions with Manny Reyes at all, like the original internet troll? No, no, zero, zero. I, I, I worked and I trained with uh, Mike Brown the time that I was there. But no, not, not, nothing with Manny Reyes. And I never got to see the show. And I never got to see it air or what happened with it. I remember <laughs> contacting Amy a few times about the video, but uh, he, didn't, he, didn't, he couldn't even get it. You, you took nine months off after that. And you traveled to the hometown of your next opponent at the Foxwoods Casino um, at the U.S. Fight League. Um, Andrew Karen. Yes. He was 5-0, and strike zone MMA, not an easy fight. Why the layoff in between the uh, two bouts? I fractured my rib. I fractured my rib. I was, I was rolling with Antonio Noguera. Okay. No, I was, I, was, I was rolling with another heavyweight, Javier. Javier couldn't tap me out. So he kind of sat hard on top of my ribs and kind of cracked my rib a little bit, but it wasn't <laughs> right. So he kind of like sat on me hard to, to pull my arm and it, it hurt my rib. I gave him the arm, whatever, who cares? It's a heavyweight anyway. But then the next day I rolled with Antonio Noguera. I was rolling with him and he didn't do nothing bad. He didn't put no weight on me or anything. I went for a guillotine and when I went to go squeeze, I went crack and I fractured my, my rib. This mm -hmm. was do you know what's going on here? This guy's a menace in the gym. <laughs> He's a friggin' menace. He's rolling with everybody, not stopping. Yeah. The, the big fellas. Yeah. Yeah. So with, oh. with Andrew Karen, um, it's kind of your coming out party. Yeah, man. That was that was a great fight, man. Dude was undefeated, yeah. 5 0. Um, we clipped him, man. We got him good. We got him good. I think, you know what? That's the first time I dropped to 155. And I had no idea what I was doing. So I did, I landed in New Jersey on a Monday, weighing 170 pounds. And it was the first time that I ever cut down to 155. But I had a friend of mine, Frank Carrillo, old training partner of mine. He was a bodybuilder back then. He helped me with the weight cut and got me to Thursday weigh-ins at 155.0. So he made the weight. We knocked him out in, what, 38 seconds, 40 seconds? Yeah, it's first round. Yeah. And that earned me a title shot in the same show. So, so yep. your first time making a way, did, were you like, man, that sucked? Or was it not that big of a deal? I, I, obviously, the more you do it, the easier it gets. But were, were you first like, man, this is for the birds? Or how did you feel first weight case? It sucked because I'm a fat ass. <laughs> a fat ass. Like, look, I, I believe, and my wife will attest to this. I'm, Chris, I must have been a sumo wrestler in my past life, bro. If you, if you were to see the way that I eat, you would not believe it. You I'm just saying, I'm pathetic. I eat a lot it, too. It's ridiculous. Like, I, like this last couple of days, I've been in bed with food here, man. Like here, like it's a nasty feeling. It's like, why are you? Why am I still shoving food down my throat? You know, I can't even breathe anymore. Eating your chocolates. It is what it is, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it. It's the beginning of a, a, a pretty interesting run in your career. You beat a guy five and zero, hot prospect. You knock him out in the first round. You have a real quick turnaround, uh, G-Force fights. You're the main event in Miami against Eric Reynolds, who's 9-0. 9-0, nine finishes, and his nickname is first It's a Wrap. Yep. It was first round finish. With five knockouts in the first round, four submissions in the first round, or vice versa. And wow. I got up in about 
38 seconds. seconds. Yeah. Yeah, that was a nasty wow. knockout. He went to Steve bad. He went bad, bad. That knockout was... Man, you got to be just pissing off a lot of these promoters, too. They're just like, they're they're all hyping them. It's just like, mm, you know, <laughs> man, he just ruined especially our night. Back then, especially back then, because if you look at the dates, it was like I was collecting belts. I like, I wouldn't tell the promoter anything. I was like, yeah, I'm going to fight for your belt here. Then I would come two weeks later and fight over here. And, like, I was just challenging everybody. Man. Yeah, well... <laughs> I mean, you knock about 38 seconds. You're also the main event. So obviously you're a huge ticket seller. Alexis Avila is on the undercard. Did you ever have any interactions with him? Yeah, it's my boy, man. That was my boy. Yeah, we used to train together. We, we trained together for a few years. He was a crazy dude. <laughs> He's a really crazy dude. But it was really fun. Really fun to train with. Yeah, everyone says, like we interviewed Hector Lombard, and Hector goes, do not let that guy's size fool you. He runs shit. He's a fucking killer, bro. Like, his mind is—he was hilarious more than anything. He was like, like if he was in the gym, you're having fun. You're having fun. The guy was hilarious, man. But yeah, don't don't mess with. Dude was a little crazy. He had a little cuckoo with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cuban wrestler. I think he was a brass medalist. Yeah, 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 yeah. So November 29th, you're back in Connecticut, U.S. Fight League again. Mark Stevens. He is eight and four at the time. He's also a future UFC veteran. Goes by the Spartan. You know, he 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 has the fastest knockout in the UFC house history, right? You know that, right? Really? Yeah. Yeah. The fastest knockout in the house. In the house. Wow. Yeah. But um, that was a tough fight, man. Let me tell you. That fight was tough. That first round, I remember that fight very clearly. The first round I come in there, I beat the crap out of him. Right? Bah, 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 like, and I strike, I strike out him, you know, big time. But in the end of the round, he takes me down. And he finds the way right there. He was an excellent wrestler. He would do this thing that no other wrestler would do to me. Like, he would literally let me get close to him like this. And he would do this matrix shit like this and go under me completely, like almost under my knees and take me down. Like, what the fuck? Like, I was just swinging up here and he was already taking me down. So he found the way in the end of the first round. Second round comes in. He just took me down. Third round comes in. Now I'm losing two to one, you know? So round four, I go to my corner. And I remember this clearly because it makes me laugh every time. Like, I go to my corner and I'm, and I'm frustrated, you know, and I'm like, how am I going to beat this guy? <laughs> like, both my trainers look at me and like, oh, oh, you're here? You're, you're going to listen to me? You're going to listen now? Do you want to talk now? Mm-hmm. Because you've just been doing whatever the fuck you want, you know? Uh. And like, yeah, like, like, the game plan is not to go over there and throw so many punches. He's a wrestler. He wants to take you down. Every time you open up with a hook or, or or anything that's more than three punches, he takes you down. You're supposed to be picking your shots. Touch him once, touch him twice, move. Touch him once, touch him twice, move. And when you see that you're clipping him and you can throw a little more, then you throw a little more, but don't risk the takedown. So I'm like, okay. So I go in the fourth round and I kind of like evaded the takedown, but he took me down at the end of it and held me down, but it was a better round. And then in the fifth round, I defend the takedown and I shoot on him. So I defended, shoot on him, and I take him down, and I just ground and pound that it was over. If I get on top of you, it's over. And I'm not looking for submissions. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, Mark Stevens, obviously, uh, you you keep getting brought in to lose, and you keep flipping the tables. And (laughs) you're the one time I think that it was an even fight, or at least you were kind of the A side on a card. 
was December 5th, 2008. The XFC, John Prisco brings the title fight series to, uh, or it's a title fight, the XFC to St. Pete's. And you fight John Mahalo. Mahalo, this yes. Is like, I, I, I couldn't wrap my head around this. Man, he was good. He was good too. He was tough, tough dude. I'm fresh. Yeah, good 500 head. fighter. Good, but tough, yeah. tough guy. Tough what dude, happened tough in that fight? I I fractured my right hand. It was hurting in the fight before that fight. It was already hurting, so it was already like in the back of my head. But in that fight, I, I think I landed an overhand and I hit the top of his head, and it was a complete fracture. Ah. And now then on, I was like, man, I can't do nothing. I couldn't defend the. Not to make no excuses. Because look at this dude, right? Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of the, the notorious Newell, Nick Newell. So a friend of mine oh, yeah. still, he only has one arm, you know, and yeah. the, the, the guy's done amazing with one arm. He's fought Gagey, he's fought some Bellator. But not having that one hand and hurting, I couldn't defend the, the rear naked choke. And he caught me. Oh. He took that, took that win. Man. Yeah, it was in your, 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 like you said, every two weeks you're fighting. This kind of falls into that category. It's it's nuts. Yeah, you're trying to pay your bills and fight. You know, that's not an easy thing to do. When I was attacking everybody in that era, that little era we just spoke about, I was really trying to get in UFC in that time because I had seen people that had beat and went to UFC. Like, how the hell? This dude just lost to me. He's in UFC, you know? Yeah. Jeremy May. I, was, I said, you know what? Let me collect as many belts as I can. Maybe that will do it. And that's what I started yeah. doing, damaging every belt I could. Now, uh, is it at this point that, you know, I went down the same road where I'm fighting, you know, multiple times a month. And eventually I realized that, you know, at this level, you have to make it to where your body peaks. You know, you peak and then you go down yeah. and you peak. And if you keep fighting multiple every two weeks, you can't peak. And then eventually, after a while, you go flat and you just have a performance. Like, I, I didn't perform what happened. You can't figure it out. And you say, oh, I got to treat this like a risk. As, as as, do you learn that? Do you learn, man, I can't just fight every two weeks. Is that, I mean, because you're, you're destroying your body. You know what I mean? A thousand percent is what it went through my head. That's exactly what went through my head after the Melo fight. Okay. I said, if, if I had been in, in better shape, if I had been yeah. better rested, I would have been made better choices in the fight. Yep. This fight, I'm like literally brawling out, looking for that one hit or quitter, how we call it, right? Because yep. I know that I can't last as long. I know that I've been depleting my body for all this time. And it's in your head, man. It's in your head. I mean, you just did wait for this fight. You didn't wait for that fight. Did wait for that fight. You know, you probably had some drinks because you're still celebrating. You know, you're still <laughs> celebrating a win. And then you're going back into training. It's like, you're not giving yourself the right. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. That's the second one in my head. And that's when I started to like really understand and write things down as far as what I need to do, how long it takes me to peak and how long I can stay there and how long I should take off before I can do that again. That's when I started putting all those things into perspective. Man, it's so hard because as a fighter, to me, like the main thing you have to have is your confidence. Like feel like you could beat anybody in the world at any time and you have to have that. And it's hard to turn down a fight. It's hard to be like, no, I can't. I, you offer me a fight in two weeks, I want to take it. I have to, you know what I mean? But it's not smart and you got to be it's a tough balance because you have to have that confidence if i can be by the world anytime but at the same time you have to be smart and let yourself be because otherwise you're not giving yourself the best chance to perform but you need that confidence same so i get it it's tough man it's tough it's tough man. It's, a, it's a game of levels too because what you get is you get in the early days you're taking fights for the money 
You're not thinking about that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hopefully you get yourself to a level where you can now begin to really think about that stuff. Yeah. You know, thank God Thanks. you guys did. Real quick, fellas, um, I have a funeral I got to go to. You guys are welcome to keep going. I got to get out of here, man. I, I apologize. We spent awesome talking to you, man. I got a funeral I got to go to. Um, hey, man, uh, if you can't get uh, – let me know what they say about uh, – when is the next fight you coming to? You're not coming to New York, are you? When, when is New York? What day is it? 12th, March 12th. You're not coming to that, are you? No, I'm in Peru, March 12th. Okay, well, man, I want to find out. I'm going to talk to Feldman and see – I want to find out if we're going to prove because I'd love to go down there, man. I mean, I've always wanted to go, so hopefully we can make it down. It's going to be awesome. Hell yeah, hey, man. And, and like we said afterwards, you deserve it more than anybody. He's got to do it, man. And he'd be stupid not to. Why would you not blow up the fan base down there? That's crazy yes. if he doesn't. I mean. Yeah, country, I mean, man. They're very exactly. proud people. Exactly. So, hey, man, thank you, fellas. Uh, you guys keep going, and I got to go this soon. I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks. All right, cool. So, you, Miguel, yeah, this is so interesting. He <laughs> fights on the very first Bellator, April 3rd, 2009. He gets into the tournament, Bellator 1 tournament, against Esteban Payan. How was your experiences at the first Bellator? Man, I, look, we looked at that tournament, and there was only one guy, which was the guy that ended up winning the tournament, that we said, okay, this would be the guy that, that we have to be watch out for. But we looked at it like we were going to run over everybody else, like Payan, the other dude. Like we, we looked at it like with a, with a real good confidence that we were going to take it and go to the at least, at the very least, be at the finals. Things work differently, you know. The, the, things don't go according to how you plan, you know. So what happens? We're talking about an era where my I'm already separated from my ex-wife. You know, I was married for eight years. And... This is an uneducated person, you know, for 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 use of better words, right? And you know, it's my past, you know. And okay, well, now wait, wait. You claim you are uneducated, but the way you're going about it, like your fight career, is very systematic. Like you're taking notes, you're figuring out your peak. So there's people that are ignorant, like they might be ignorant because they don't know, but you're continuing to learn. There's a big difference between yes. those two mindsets. Yeah, so, so no, go saying that uneducated was my ex-wife. Oh, 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 man, I ex-wife. <laughs> person where they don't really care the damage they're doing to the child as long as they're doing damage to the father. You know what I mean? And I was going through, like, the boiling point of that. I had already separated from her. We were together for eight years. You know, I, didn't, I, I had been out of love for two years prior to that. But... I grew up without my father. I don't want my son growing up without a father. But it's two years of unhappiness and fights. And I'm like, you know what? I'd rather not fight in front of him. You know, he's five years old, you know? So I said, I got to make a move. So I separated I separated from the ex. And she did everything in her power to attack me. Like, for real. So, like, so it only happened before a fight. So the biggest tournament, this, this is the, how the conversation goes, right? I tell her, look, we're going in different directions, okay? She had cheated, by the way, right? Um, so she never worked. Like, I, I grew up in a family where my father took care of everything. So I always did that, right? But now we're in a time where, like, I'm telling her, look, you, you go to school or go work out. 
you know, yeah, be better. train your body or train your brain, you know, let's do something. And I wanted to grow out of my childish ways too, you know, because I wasn't the, the easiest guy either, but she didn't want to grow with me. So I made a decision saying, you know what, let me make, let me make my move. And she ended up making her move and she ended up making a different move where she cheated and whatnot. Okay, no problem. Because what I told her was, look, the tournament is people that are 100% focused only on training. I can't be like in the middle of fights and, and working. I want to be able to train 100% like they're training. And I didn't have no sponsors back then, you know? So what I said- what was the, the price? Was it like 100 grand or something? 175,000 for the three 175,000, okay. So I told her, look, let's do this. I'm going to move in with my brother. You move in with your, with your mom, because at least was already over, right? You move in with your parents. I'm going to move in with my brother. There's only a three-month camp. That's it. It's three months. We're looking at $175,000. i am going to buy you an apartment, and I'll buy myself an apartment. Like, I'm splitting the money with you 50 50 you know? I'm going to give you half of it to buy an apartment, because you're going to be living with my son. And I'm going to give myself an apartment. That was the deal. She goes to cheat, blah, blah, whatever. I don't care. I, don't, I was already out of love for two years anyways. So, yeah. The problem was you're showing up to my gym like three times a week, fighting in front of people, the threats. You're not going to see your son. You're not going to talk to your son. You're not going to... Everything is threat, 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 threats, moving in and out of places, you know, dragging my son everywhere. So it was just uh, the biggest headache. So mentally, I wasn't focused on my fight, man. Mentally, I was not there. Physically, I was in, in really good shape. But mentally, I was I was just not there, man. I ended up losing a split decision. The very first fight, I got stabbed in the eye like three times. I have pictures to today of how bad my eye was that ever took a point away from him. That if do what it took, one point away, I would want to fight easily. You know, but they didn't, and I ended up losing the tournament. You know, right there, the first fight. Yeah, there's no video on that. There's no video on that at all. So yeah. you've got now you're going through a nasty divorce and you've got two losses in a row. Did you ever think about quitting? No, <laughs> no, because look, quitting for me, is kind of like today, right? If you talk to me about me today, your retirement and all that, right? I understand I'm running against the clock. I've been running against the clock for the last 10 years, you know, in the MMA world and fighting, you know, forties, even thirties is already a little, a little heavy, but running against time right now, right? And if I'm in fights where I'm being outstriked, I'm being hurt, I'm coming out damaged, then I could understand the talk about quitting or even thinking about retirement and stuff like that. If I'm being as dominant as I'm being, or if we're going back then to that Bellator tournament where I was in such great shape, but mentally I was in a completely different place, then I can't blame that in my in, in my future in MMA because in that moment, it's like, I'm just not fighting with my head. Like physically I'm doing everything I need to do, but I haven't put my, my head together with my body. You know, so there was no, there was no thoughts of me quitting back then. Even though I was, you know, suffering those big losses, you know, because to me it was big. It was my first 175,000 man in three fights, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> that would have been really good money back then. Yeah. Now, yeah, do you remember sure. that Bellator show? They kind of hyped it as a Latino based show. It was on ESPN. So, did you feel some love there, or were you feeling like you have your whole career that they're bringing you in as a B side? Uh, 
I think that, yes, the marketing was kind of trying to aim at the whole Bellator and the whole Spanish and Latino side, but it really wasn't. I mean, me, me from the inside, I can tell you that it really wasn't. Okay. It really wasn't. It was, it was very cited in another, in another sense. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, that's the way that it felt to me. Okay. You know, but, uh, what about pure yeah, revenue? Feel like, like Combat Americas, for example. You know, that's like Latino, Latino, you know, like mm -hmm. Bellator. I think that they were just trying to like simultaneously, you know, target both markets. You know? Yeah, and the first time, the first season, they were on ESPN Espanol too. Yes, so yeah. they kind of got to give it a little, a little bit. But okay. Yeah, but in the uh, end of the day, I don't think it was very much like a Latino organization like that. I never really saw it. Like that. I agree with you. How was your relationship with Bjorn Rebney? Bjorn, Bjorn Rebney. I don't. I only. I never really. I mean, I spoke to him maybe once or twice. We didn't have a because back then um, I was being managed the way that I got into the tournament. I was being managed by a manager I never even met in person, you know, um, thanks to him, though, he got me in a tournament, but it was really because of Minotaur Noguera. Minotaur Noguera put in the work for me to get in the tournament. He's the one that made a call because in that time we were team Noguera. So MMA Masters, which was the first MMA team that I came out of, MMA Masters, before MMA Masters, it was called Team Noguera. So it was Master Cesar, the striking coach, Sensei Daniel, which is an old training partner of, of Minotaro Noguera, old friend and competitor, um, they had opened Team Noguera in Brickle. And there was talks that Anderson Silva was going to be a part of it too. So he even came, Anderson Silva came, the Noguera brothers were there. But then you would only see the Noguera brothers like once every six months. And Sensei Daniel was doing all the work with Master Cesar. So they decided to part ways from Team Noguera. And they did though, because they were doing all the work on their own. So then they came up with the name MMA Masters, and that's where MMA Masters well, started from. Yeah, yeah Cesar Carmelo. Yeah, 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 brilliant mind. Brilliant MMA mind. So you go back to, man, this is one of the hardest things. You go back, Bellator 6, May 8, 2009. You fight in Texas against, like, a local hero, uh, Nick <laughs> Gonzalez. He's over at Paradigm Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. The Ghost, he is a monster ticket seller. <laughs> they were definitely bringing me in thinking I'm going to just lose to this guy, you know? Dude, for Rude sure. <laughs> yeah. Rude awakening. That was a nice knockout. That was a nice knockout. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Nick is, is tough as nails, too. I have a ton of respect yeah. for him. Yes. Super cool guy. I saw him not too long ago. I saw him like about uh, the, in a death fight. I saw him. Doesn't he have his own gym now? I'm not sure, but okay. I, I remember coming to talk to me, saying what's up, and wanting to uh, come into Bare Knuckle. And so I'll put in a word for you, man. I, I mentioned it today. You know, I don't know what the route is on, on picking up fighters right now. So you're sticking with Bellator, June 19, 2009. Hopefully it's a decent payday. Uh, Troy Gerhardt is your next opponent. He's 5-0, four KOs. You know, three of the four of them are within the first two minutes. Um, I think he's a Rob Khan student out of Gracie, Tampa. Yeah. Real Gracie. strong wrestler, which is kind of your weak point. So yeah. once again, they're bringing you in as a B-side. Yes. Yes. Bellator, look, I remember Bellator. That's why I don't have the best memories out of Bellator. I remember every single fight was like, I don't want to say a setup because I'm not no victim either. But it was, it was you know, in fighting, you it have. Was tilted. You have, yeah, you have those edges, you know, 
that edge was never in my side. It was always against me. So do you remember that fight? Yeah, I remember the fight clearly. That was good. That was good, man, but we got him. Yeah. We got him. You win a decision against Troy. Um, they actually press released Troy coming into the organization. They couldn't believe they found a guy at the open try. They built our open tryouts out of everybody. He's our only signing. We'll give him Palomino. <laughs> so you're constantly like the spoiler. Yeah, yeah. Why? Why is that? Like well, in your head, like you've got to be doing the math on this. I think it was it was a combination of not being represented properly. I didn't have a, a, I didn't have a team. Like I didn't have a recognized team. You know, my team was just being built. You know, I didn't have a recognized management. You know. Um, it was kind of, I was kind of like a one man show in a, in a sense, you know, where there was nothing behind me that made people talk like other than my fighting style. And I come to fight, I come to fight, I come to swing. And I really didn't care what happened. If you took me down or not, because I was very confident with my jiu-jitsu. Like, if you notice, I only suffered three submissions and that was it. I never got submitted again because that was the last submission, I promised myself I'd never tap out again. That was a Peruvian necktie in Venezuela. That was horrible. Yeah. Did, did, did you have a good did you have any relationship with Bellator matchmaker Matt Stansel? No, I don't even remember the name, to be honest. That's <laughs> probably why you're being brought in as a B-side. <laughs> we got we got a couple more and, and we'll, we'll let you go. Jonathan Brookins, future tough 12 winner, G-Force MMA. He's nine and three. After one more fight, he makes the ultimate fighter house and obviously wins it. <laughs> Not an game. easy one. <laughs> yeah. um, man, that guy was good. And, and, and I remember him coming to, to tell me after the fight, like, man, you don't understand how scared I was for this fight. <laughs> he, told me, he told me the truth, like, how scared he was of me. Right? Um, I got a little cocky with him. I knocked him down. Like, if you see the video, when I knocked him down, he literally, like, face plants. Like, both his arms go to the side and his face lands like right between his legs. And it looked like he was turned off completely. And I did the, the mistake of, you know, I always go for the kill. I hit him again and I woke him up. So I knocked him out clean. Boom, he hits the floor like this. Blah, arms open. And when I go to finish him off and I hit him again, he kind of like wakes up and grabs out of my leg and survives. And he makes it to the next round. So now I'm like, I had a real problem with overconfidence. That was like one of my biggest problems. I get overconfident with things. I wouldn't necessarily get cocky, but I would get overconfident like nothing had happened to me, you know? And that was my mistake. Like I, I got into a scramble with him and he, with his linky long ass arms, skinny long ass arms, he, I don't know how the hell, man, he got behind my back, sunking a real naked choke and that was it for me. He took that fight. Yeah, yeah, not easy. It, yeah. You know, when I'm going through your career, I'm looking at points where, Oh, he's one fight away. He's one <laughs> fight away. And then you run into a Mahalo or you run into, you know, at, at this point, Jonathan Brookins. But it's not a bad loss because Jonathan Brookins did great things shortly yeah. thereafter. Um, Rafael Diaz, American top team. So you trained with them for a little bit. It didn't work out. And now you're pitted up against him. And on Concord 1, 
that's also not a really that that's that might not be a smart fight for you at the time. No, it wasn't, man. I was I was guaranteed, you know, looking to lose that fight, man, because he had so much more experience than me. He had been fighting way before me, like way before me. Yeah, he's not older than me or anything, you know, where he's still younger than me. Um, he was a black belt before I even started doing jujitsu. <laughs> before I started doing jiu-jitsu, this dude was already a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Well, you're three years away from – you got your black belt April 25th, 2012. Uh, Daniel Valverde gave it to you. You're three yes. years away from receiving your black belt. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you got a guy that's 12-6-1. You're 10-5, and five, but his 12-6-1 isn't a real 12-6-1 because the majority of his losses are outside of his weight class. Yep. Crazy. So what happened? Go ahead. He was really, really good. I remember for this specific fight, we kept talking about the takedowns and the grappling. We knew that that's, that's his, his game plan. He's going to come to grapple. He knows that my jiu-jitsu game is going to be weak compared to his. He has been doing it for so long. And, and to begin with, I'm not that type of fighter. I want to knock somebody out, you know? So we knew that was going to happen. So for this specific fight, we kept training this, the faking the back knee to the front knee. And I kept saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I didn't knock him out with it, but I got a beautiful picture in the air, landing the knee and his whole body getting lift up in the air. So I have a beautiful picture of that knee. I landed it in the second round. And uh, I think it was the third round that I finished him, if I'm not mistaken. I got on top of yeah, him and I finished him in the third round. Yeah. yeah. You're finishing tough guys. And, and Lewis, you've given us plenty of time. Why don't we wind up before we do open questions? Jorge Masvidal is doing backyard fights. He's got a huge reputation. Um, you know, somebody obviously not a, afraid to scrap. Not afraid to scrap. You guys meet in probably the biggest fight in Miami versus Miami history. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I mean, two huge ticket sellers. Yeah, Triple A Arena. Uh, he had just came back from Japan. And... The way that this whole fight got set up, he he was talking shit. <laughs> he, was, he was in a club in a VIP section. Next to him, it was Glenn Rice. So G-Force is Glenn Rice organization. And Glenn Rice was working with Tito. Tito was a promoter. So they're talking to George, blah, blah. This is a story that I heard, right? Supposedly, his contract in Japan is over. He's going to UFC now, right? And... Tito's talking about blah, blah, blah. This, you know, we have a show coming up, blah, blah. And Masvidal was talking about, I want to do a show in my hometown before I go to UFC. So he wanted to do a show for the fans here before he goes to UFC. So, okay, so we got Palomino, blah, 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 blah. They're like, oh, you know, Palomino, un tira piedra. Like, talking about, I'm, a, I'm a rock thrower. I have no, no technique that, that, uh, that he's fought in front of thousands of people and I fought in front of hundreds of people. Like talking all this crap, right? And people said, okay, the more, the more, even more so, isn't it an easy fight for you? We can set up this fight, you know? And that day, I think it was uh, Hector Lombard's main event, we were called main event. And he comes into the weigh-ins at 163 pounds. He was eight pounds over, man. You know, eight pounds over. So they give you two hours to cut the weight, right? The dude is walking by me with a water bottle just drinking water. Like, fuck you. I'm not fighting. You know, like, it's so like the commissioner passed right after him. And I tell the commissioner, look at this guy, man. I haven't even drank a sip of water. I already made weight at 155.0. Shit. 
he's 163, he's eight pounds over, and he's not even trying to lose the weight. He's just drinking water in front of me because he was saying he's not going to fight me. He didn't want to fight me. He didn't want to fight. So now he like he caught himself in the fight, but he didn't want to take the fight. So the commissioner said, look, we're going to make an example out of him. Um, I know that he thinks he's a star, but if he does, because he was saying that he was not going to pay me for the overweight, right? So the commissioner said, look, it's either he pays you a percentage for being overweight or we suspend him for a year. So his whole thing about going to UFC was not going to happen that year. So then now he's pressure, right? So then the commission comes to me like an hour later and, and he, he tells me, look, we have one more problem. By, by contract, by deal, by the state Florida commission, if he's eight pounds, there's no fight. So you can't be more than six pounds over. So he said, look, the only thing that you can do is you can give him two pounds for free, but we have to change the contract, give him two pounds for free, where it gives us only six pounds over, where now we can force him to take the fight or suspend him if he doesn't take the fight. Said, but don't worry about it because he's still going to have six pounds to negotiate. Said okay, so I signed a new. Yeah, contract. It will affect your percentage, just so you know. They can't go yeah. we'll just drink it at one sixty-five because your percentage of the miss would go okay. way down. So it's so very I, smart I, and tactical. Exactly. I wanted to fight, so say I understand the problem. Here's two pounds for free, and we negotiated at six pounds. I ended up at two k. You know, he ended up paying me two k more, and we beat him in a in a split decision in a fight that he did not want to fight. He, he, like, I've been asking for the video all this time. I still haven't been able to get it. And there's videos from the outside. You can't really see that good. But he didn't want to trade with me. He did not want to trade with me. He, I killed his calf. His calf was destroyed. As a matter of fact, I beat him through the calf kicks. And then he takes the same calf kick when he goes to Strike Force. Uh, yeah, Strike Force. And he fights KJ News and beats KJ News with it. He learned that from me. He lost to me against him with that. That's when the captain started to open out and go out because he took it to strike force. So you win a split decision against Jorge Masvidal. Does the issues between you two, like you guys are butting heads, you know, two alpha males, two Latinos, does it get settled? Have you guys talked since then? He's a really weird dude, man, because, like, I'll see him and he'll say, what's up, we're cool, block, right? And then I'll see him with, like, Kobe, for example, or with other people, and he'll be like, and I'll be like, what, which one is it, man? <laughs> which one is it? You're like, are we cool or are we not? Like, I really don't give a shit. If anything, I'm the one that won. <laughs> You're the one that lost. I'm the one that won. You know, so I don't know what your issue is, but like, with certain people, he's a certain person, and with certain people, he's a different person. So I don't, I don't know. It's kind of a weird guy. Huh. Wow. Yeah, yeah, you, you see that on your record, and um, it's very telling. It's like it's you're, you're you can't no matter who is against you. Like the, you take top three in the world today, you can't count you out. You can't do it. You can't do it. Like you know, maybe your jujitsu isn't as good. Maybe your striking isn't. Well, whatever. You're a live dog. You know that, that fight proves it. It proves it. Yes, sir. Yeah, there's no bend. You 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 have no bend. You just you're you're man, very impressive. <laughs> Miguel. You yeah. Uh, so Lewis, it's been a pleasure, dude, because 
you know, I was thinking about it. There's so many cliches in this game, but and then then there are guys like you definitely paid your dues. That's a oh. cliche that gets that gets put in way too much sometimes, but it can't be more true for a guy like you, you know. And, and you mentioned that the only gift you got is 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 power, like you know, the gift from God kind of thing. And I gotta disagree with you, man, because your mindset and like you said, you also mentioned your 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 work ethic. They're right there with that. You know what I mean? And and that's why you're you're a world champion now. So I've enjoyed your leaving MMA and making it in BKFC because it made us proud. Yeah, <laughs> you, you totally deserve it. You totally deserve it. The, the the dudes you've paid are up there high on the list. A lot of dudes in this business worked hard, never quit, never made anything for, of it. <laughs> Now you're getting a chance to win some of that. So I hope I hope I get to join you in Lima to watch some bare knuckle fights, man. That'd be great, man. We need some good food out there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Ceviche. So, you know, like uh, when you look at your career, there's several times where, you know, 90% of the fight people would have quit at this point, And you just kept going back. You kept going back. And now you've, you know, you're, you're, Entangled BKFC, you've got David Feldman. I can't wrap my head around Feldman and what he's been able to, to create. Like, he took a sport that was completely illegal. You know, there was doubters all on the way. I even doubted him at one point. And now you see what he has done with it. I, I think his biggest issue is that his vision is so much further than everybody else that we, as fans, we have to catch up to him. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You just can't see it. You can't see that far ahead, man. You know, he, what he's yeah. done, you know, apart from his own vision from, from what he sees, look at the things that he's done for people like me. You know, like at this age, 41 years old, man, I was already retired. I hadn't verbally retired from MMA, but I was pretty much done. I was writing a four-fight loose streak, you know, and, and I wasn't like losing like that. I wasn't getting beat up, but I was losing the records states that I was losing. I wasn't getting hurt. I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was losing, but I was losing. And he gave me people like me, you know, an opportunity to, to finish a whole life, you know, lifestyle of fighting to finish it where I, where I really want to finish it, you know, to cement my legacy and be able to at least get that out of the way, you know? Yeah. You know, to give him more credit with, he's able to take guys like you and some of the other, marketable guys and if you look at it objectively what has he done 20 shows by now yeah roughly they're, they're yeah. way ahead of where the <laughs> ufc was after 20 shows or oh, even yeah. after 20 shows you know so more power to them and and, and part of that is is the star power that, that you're bringing you you it fit He's like creating his own stars man. yeah it fit like a yeah. glove man it was perfect for you awesome yes i agree 100 baboon Dude, what we're going to do is we'll get you a couple more bare knuckle fights in, and we got to bring you back and finish the rest of your career. We've been know. hounding Chris forever about, dude, like if you look at Miguel, Miguel was a former Bodog guy, you know, Abu Dhabi, UFC or MFC Euphoria. If you look at like your body of work, you're his number one draft pick for like <laughs> when he was doing his organizations, he liked the guys that put the work in. You check all of his boxes. So, man, 
Love you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you for your time. I missed Thank you by a little bit because uh, <laughs> I was the matchmaker for AFC before Carlos. I did the, oh, first, I, I did the first 15 of those. And wow. then Carlos took over. So I just missed you. And it's a shame because I, I definitely think uh, I, I would have enjoyed working with you. But it was Absolutely. a pleasure to meet you. And, and Likewise. like I said, the championship role, it fits you like a glove, man. You grew into it. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank <laughs> Be you. good. Well, Mike, hey, we did it. Luis Palomino's in the books. We were in new territory. And I think, you know, that. I think we hit a home run, man. I think, you know, I, he's a, it's he's pretty a good. Star. He's a star, man. You know, I think he's just, I think he's always been a star. It's just that people maybe on the, on the international, even, even like across the country, maybe they haven't realized it, but I'll tell you what, anybody that's been offered up a fight against him, absolutely without question of a doubt, knew they were getting into a dog fight. Yeah, no, his independent grind, as you said, you know, a lot of fights, a lot, I guess a lot of guys, you know, the B side, like constantly that, that story recycling itself on him, you know, not getting any love until, you know, maybe until now when he found himself in the BKFC world. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, like I said in the interview, just the guy who paid his dues, you know, that's well, a cliche, but not with this guy. He's also a guy that minds his own business. And, and I, I, I can tell you why. Like, for instance, he dealt with a lot of like really shitty promoters and he had absolutely no problem with them whatsoever. You know, it's two things. One, he's all business and he's somebody that maybe that they kind of feared or respected. But two, he never got involved in their personal business. You know, so he just didn't care. You know, he didn't ask probably the necessary questions that he needed. And he came in as a B-side. So the promoter's probably avoiding him anyway. Yeah, like I said, man, those dues get paid and paid over and over again. And, yeah. You know, I'm glad to see that now, at the very least, he's got a shot at, at, at you know, breaking out of that rut. I, I agree. But I'm going to tell you, like, another thing is uh, he, when you look at his record, you know he's self-managed. <laughs> Just like he should have said, no, here, 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 here. It's just like you can't say no, and they're calling you direct, you know, which which he admitted in the interview. He was self-managed for a while. No, definitely an interesting guy. And like I said, uh bare knuckle, you know, has a guy that I think is 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 uh, growing right into into his position there. And uh, you know, definitely a good interview, definitely a good slice of life in that one so thank Absolutely. you very much Luis. so ladies and gentlemen like share subscribe we cannot grow without your help we've tried it doesn't work we've even advertised and we've got like people sending us like nasty messages like how dare you advertise here it, I, I we can't even wrap our heads around it if you guys can just please like share subscribe it'd be greatly greatly appreciated if you guys like to gamble BetDSI.eu. They've helped us out with the Chelsonan interview, which you can go back and listen to. They lined that up for us. Lights out is the promo code, 50% cash deposit, up to $1,000. And April 16th, Orlando, Florida, Miguel, Abu Dhabi Jiu-Jitsu Pro. We're doing, a, we're doing a tournament, April 16th. AJPTour.com is where you can register for the event.
I think that's it. I think we're out. Definitely something to look forward to there, the AGP. But uh, Louis Palomino, definitely looking forward to his next fight as well. Thanks for the great interview. And that's in the books. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.